You're listening to the Conference Talk podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Each weekend, we discuss talks from the most recent General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right. We'll share some insights, make some connections, and hopefully have a bit of fun as we study the words of the men and women God has called to direct His Church in these the latter days. I'm Matthew Watkins. And I'm Melissa Fugaza, and this is episode number 15, where we're talking about Elder Marcus B. Nash's talk, Hold Up Your Light. So, Matthew, what did you think about this talk? Oh, I love it. Well, missionary work is always kind of a favorite topic of mine. Are we allowed to have gospel hobbies? If we are, then mine's missionary work. Okay. What's the most challenging thing for you with missionary work? The most challenging thing, I think, is learning how to do it, and Elder Nash is going to talk about this later, Mm -hmm. in a normal and natural way. Okay. So often, we like to think of that line, every member a missionary, and turn it into every member a salesman. Right. We think that we have to be pressuring, we have to be pitching, we have to be selling the gospel. And that's really not what we're asked to do. And I think that the recent training that the Brethren gave on missionary work uh, which is available at share.churchofjesuschrist.org, gives some great insights and really emphasizes the point that we are not supposed to be out there like some sort of TV pitch man. Right. But yet I feel like even before we so- talk about this talk, um, I feel like a lot of members of the church feel that way, that they, you know, they get a talk like this one and it's about missionary work and inside they just go, they kind of cringe because they're like, oh, missionary work. So I've been writing about missionary work specifically on my blog a lot over the past few months. And it is something that we have to unlearn. And it is something that we have to change our perspectives of. I know that in my stake and in previous units I've been in, we so often try to inject energy and enthusiasm into missionary work by adding a program, right? Whether it's the set the date program, whether it's some sort of, you know, referral chain program. When you do that, when you keep jumping at programs, what you get is a real burnout. There's a great quote from Elder Uchtdorf that says, when missionary work is discussed in church meetings, heads are slowly lowered until submerged behind the pews, eyes focused on the scriptures or closed in deep meditation to avoid eye contact with other members. We get so burned out and it's just such a guilt trip or an annoying topic or just something that we think we can never measure up to and that we have this idea about that it just turns people off to it entirely. And so we need to stop reaching inside the big old bucket of programs. We don't need a new program. We need a new perspective on missionary work. And I think that Elder Nash really hits at the points on that. Missionary becomes you when you become a member of the church, when you become committed and you're upholding your covenants that you make when you are baptized. You can't just create like a new program or I, you know, I'd be in a lot of words and stuff where they'd have like um, invitations or even challenges, invite non-member people to activities up to a certain number. It just, it got to be this point where it was, yeah, it was kind of like a shame thing and people would end up just kind of folding under the pressure and avoiding it and, you know, trying not to do anything. They just kind of shut down. It's not organic. It's not sincere. And you're right. It is like being more of a salesman than it is being a disciple of Christ and really caring more about the souls of people and what the gospel can do to help their lives as opposed to just like a number in in a congregation. 
Joseph Smith said something really telling. He said, a man filled with the love of God will not be content to blessing his family alone. He will want to roam the whole earth, preaching the gospel effectively. And it's interesting. He says, it's our conversion. It's our testimony that leads a natural desire to share it. It's not a program. Missionary work isn't so much something we do. Missionary work is just a natural outgrowth of conversion that comes automatically. I'd like a, if you look up prayer in the Bible dictionary, it says, once we understand the relationship between ourselves and Heavenly Father, prayer becomes natural and instinctive. I would love to see a time when we start to realize missionary work should become natural and instinctive, not something that we have to pre-plan to check boxes, but just something that flows naturally out of our lives without us even thinking about it. Like the Lamanites who were baptized with the fire and the Holy Ghost, and they didn't even know it, as Jesus Christ talks about in 3 Nephi. Yeah, I'm, and of course, I'm immediately thinking of the best missionary examples in the Book of Mormon. Um, I immediately think of Alma the Younger and the Sons of Mosiah. And as soon as they are converted, as soon as they repent and they've had that change of heart, what is the very first thing that they desire to do? It's to go out and not only preach the gospel, but preach the gospel to their enemies, which to me is just, I mean, if you put it in a context of today, that's just crazy, <laughs> you know, how many people, you know, would just up and go and move to some country we're in conflict with or something and say, I'm going to go teach about Jesus Christ because they need it. The rest of the Nephites thought they were crazy too. Yeah, they did. They said, no, let's not go preach them. Let's go kill them. Yeah. And the thing that I always think about is Ammon. Um, we hear of his story first, and the very first thing he does is he goes into this kingdom and he immediately petitions to be a slave, like a servant, um, and to just serve the king. He doesn't, you know, go in there all like, I'm going to convert you or whatever. He immediately just asks to be put to work. And that was his natural way of earning, you know, building trust and a friendship with the Lamanites. It wasn't um, forced. It was natural. Um, he was being himself. He was, uh, you know, just trying to get to know them as people. And so he was, he was a good missionary because he went in, you know, with the right mentality. Now his brothers kind of fell on harder times, but they also, you know, at first they didn't do what he did. You know, they went in like, Hey, we're missionaries. We're going to teach you about God and we're going to call you to repentance. And, you know, that just never goes over well. <laughs> They went in guns blazing, and their their first stops were to talk to the uh, apostate Nephites that were living with the Lamanites. Yes, and so it obviously didn't go well, and they put up their walls, both probably literally and figuratively, and they made their lives very, very difficult. And we know that they were imprisoned and starved, and so all kinds of things happened to them. Um, just not as successful of a situation. And I, I think at the beginning of this talk with um, Elder Nash, he he talks about this. The thing I love so much though, is he shares two stories. He shares the first one where he talks to an atheist, a self-proclaimed atheist. He said on an airplane, they get talking about religion. I love how he describes, he says in the delightful conversation that ensued, he shared his beliefs about heavenly father and Jesus Christ and that he believed in God because Joseph Smith saw him. And then he added on that he has a personal testimony of that. And therefore that's what he believes. And he had this great conversation with this atheist and the atheist was like, huh? Yeah. I mean, he was open to receiving his message and he even accepted a copy of the book of Mormon. And then he had a second um, experience. And the thing that jumped out the most to me about this experience is he's at this airport and he, 
Um, apparently this guy is an airport worker. He's checking his passport. The thing that amazed me is Elder Nash says, I asked him about his religious beliefs. I'm fine with talking about religion with people, but unlike a one-off contact with a person, like in a, a personnel member or something at like a store or in this case an airport and something, I don't know if I would like necessarily ask them that right off. Thank you for shopping at Publix. Did you find everything you're right? I did. Did you find Jesus? Yeah, exactly. But he did. He asked him about his religious beliefs, and the man said he expressed strong faith in God. And then Elder Nash continues to share the gospel with him and invited him if he would to like to learn more from the missionaries. The man said yes. He was taught and he was baptized. And then a year or two later, he meets with Elder Nash again, and he tells him he's active in the church and he's happy. And now he's trying to get his girlfriend to. Um, listen to the missionary discussions. And so I'm sitting here thinking both of these instances, um, he must have been a warm, friendly person, probably as I imagined Ammon to be, because both of these men had a good experience with him. So he must have built up a good enough rapport with these men where they felt like they were comfortable and not judged in opening up and sharing their beliefs. Yeah, but what if I'm not that way, right? You know, we hear a lot of stories of general authorities on airplanes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not the type of person to talk to people who sit next to me on airplanes. Maybe I'm not the type of person to carry on, you know, jovial conversations with everybody around me that I don't know. I'm more introverted. I'm more to myself. So, what I think a lot of Latter-day Saints in my position will look at that and say, well, maybe Elder Nash, for you, that is normal and natural, for me, going that far outside my bubble is certainly not normal and natural. And maybe for the people sitting next to me or something, as I, with my sweaty palms and cracking voice, try and engage in a conversation, they're be thinking, this is not normal and natural. This is really weird. Please stop. Yeah. And I think what's amazing about nowadays, and especially during COVID, is missionaries, full-time missionaries now, they are fully engaged and fully using social media, which I think for an introverted person, like you're saying is perhaps you or someone else like that, where they don't feel comfortable with those personal interactions, they can share themselves on social media. Now, some people will say, oh, but that's still really vulnerable. I could have naysayers or anti-people or whatever, you know, make horrible comments on my page and things like that. And that is true, but you're always going to run that, you know, like even if you do it in person, you could run into an unsavory person who would just love to unload on you about how they just don't like anything about what you're about. But I think it's amazing that we have these tools nowadays where we can get on social media and it could just be a simple share something you learned when you went to church on Sunday, share a really good scripture that you read that morning, or um, even, you know, sharing posts that the general authorities have posted because they post all of the time now. Um, I love posting conference talks. If I'm studying my scriptures and it kind of links to a conference talk that's with it and I read the talk and I think, oh, this talk is so good. Maybe it was done like 10 years ago or something. It's been a long time. I like to link that on my Facebook page and share it with people. And I have found that most people are, you know, pretty receptive. They either just like the page or maybe they don't even make any comment or anything at all. The craziest thing that I did is I made my page public. 
that was kind of a stretch for me to do that. But it's been interesting because I've had, um, sometimes I've had people that I don't even know like my posts. And I think, oh, that's kind of interesting. They're, I could be the only member of the church that they have contact with. Something to think about, you know? Yep. I remember this quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Yes. President Monson would say that a lot. When he talks about normal and natural, it makes me think again about the sons of Mosiah, how they could not bear the thought of anyone living without the gospel. Their sharing the gospel was a natural outgrowth that they didn't have to force themselves to do. It, was, it wasn't, oh, I have to force myself to preach the gospel. It was, I can't help but want to share this with everybody. And I think that maybe that's for people like me who get a little nervous or a little tongue-tied. Maybe we focus more on our desires and saying, okay, why is it that I don't intrinsically have a motivation to step outside and, and do this? Um, I think also, and this is a, probably a little controversial to say, but I think it gets to this point where we need to just take ourselves out of the equation altogether. You know, I think um, for me, I look at my life and I think how blessed I am and how good my life is. Do I have struggles and challenges? Absolutely. Everyone does. Everyone has things that they're going through, but those things are made lighter because of the gospel in my life. And when I have those moments where I pause and I think, oh my goodness, there are people out in the world, they don't have that. Um, They're going through life in the most like visceral way that you can possibly go through. They don't have that protection of peace and joy and hope that the gospel can bring you. Um, And they are literally living raw. And who am I to you know, keep the gospel from these people. And I'm not guilt tripping people into saying, you know, you need to just get over yourself and share the gospel. But I think we do need to sometimes realize that our inadequacies and our hesitancy to share the gospel, sometimes we need to just put that away. And just as Elder Nash says, we need to just be ourselves. We need to just normally and naturally live our lives. And like you just shared, you know, we live the gospel and if necessary, we use words to share that. Um, But it's really in how we're living the gospel and not being afraid to speak up when someone notices. Exactly. Looking into the second section of his talk, he says something that dovetails right in line with that. He said, to know these truths, meaning the truths of the gospel, is life changing. We often take for granted how different we are experiencing the blessings of the gospel from those who do not. We don't fully appreciate the wonderful gift that is ours, especially if we've been born in the church and more or less always had a testimony and always had that security blanket and that comfort that others do not. And I think maybe a little bit of compassion factors into this as well, that when we are more empathetic to the plight of others and realize how dark and dreary the dark and dreary world is, we have a more natural desire to share it. I agree with that. And he does go on to say in that second paragraph of what you were reading is he met this wonderful sister in Nigeria. And she said that from the time she learned the gospel and was baptized, she said, everything is good for me. I am happy. I am in heaven. I don't know what her life was like before, but obviously her life is better now with the gospel. And so You're right. I mean, I've been a member of the church my entire life. I have never 
like experienced anything in my life without the gospel as part of it. So I don't know what it's like to not have that. Um, of course, you know, like everybody else who's been born in the gospel, they have to find their own testimony and, you know, find their own way and stuff. But we always had, at least for me, I always had the truths available to me. And when you have those available to you, you know, you do, you, you definitely, you just can't relate to people who have just didn't have that. And so it, it, it can be hard. I think it can be really hard um, for members of the church like myself. I'll just use myself as, as an example where we, we don't know what it's like to not have the gospel. So it is kind of scary to go out there and, and share the gospel. I mean, some of the best missionaries are the ones who are brand new converts to the church, right? It's because they know exactly what it was like before they found the gospel and right after they were baptized. So they'll go invite 40 of their friends, no problem. Yeah, because it's like when you find a breakthrough in like a diet or exercise plan that you're loving. I mean, you just cannot stop sharing that with everybody else, you know. But yet for some reason, when it comes to the gospel, you know, we we just we really hesitate. We clam up. I think it's a lot of fear of just being judged or people even being like mean about it or whatever. But converts, converts to the church, they are just they're on fire. They share it with everybody. I've heard, you know, I have so many um, people that I know that are converts that they would like, they'd go to the store and be like, hey, I was just baptized a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How would you like to know more about that? And the, the checkers just bagging his groceries, you know? So it's like, but they are. And I think it's because, um, well, I know it's probably because they've noticed the difference. They've noticed how not great their life was until they had the church, the gospel in their life. Or as Elder Nash would say, God's power in their life. Yes, yes. And that's the next section that I love. And he talks about, and I always love this. I've been studying this a lot more too, because I am, heaven help me. I made a commitment to read the entire Old Testament this year um, from cover to cover, no matter what. And I am trudging through numbers and it's fine. I I tried listening to the Old Testament audio while driving to and from work. Never listen to numbers on your, you know, if you're trying to stay awake during a drive. Oh, yes. No, it is. I mean, it is. Let's put it in the way that it's very interesting how detailed um, the Lord is with how sacrifices needed to be made um, for the Israelites to do. And that is pretty remarkable. Um, But as I've been reading it um, and I'm studying you know, the Old Testament along with other manuals and study helps because like I said, I need help. I need a lot of help with understanding (laughs) what's going on. I've just loved um, how truly powerful a covenant is. Um, Promising, promising what you promise back then, back in that time, thousands of years, that was a big deal, a big deal. It was life or death. Whereas in the Old Testament, it's like, if you break this, you die. (laughs) Or, or you're shunned from their people for a while. I mean, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So I love how Elder Nash is sharing in this talk that when we're baptized, we enter into a perpetual covenant with God to serve him and keep his commandments. And that includes to stand as witnesses of him at all times and in all things and in all places. And as we do that, as he says in his words, as we abide in God by keeping this covenant 
the enlivening, sustaining, sanctifying power of godliness flows into our lives from Christ, just as a branch receives nourishment from the vine. So it is literal power that is given us when we share the gospel. Yep. And he goes into a little bit more details in the next few sections. And these were parts that really stood out to me, not to sound selfish, but I get excited when he says, okay, now here's what's in it for me. (laughs) The first aspect of sharing the gospel beyond obviously extending the blessings to the rest of Heavenly Father's children is he points out that that sharing the gospel protects us from temptation. Mm -hmm. I had never thought about that before. I hadn't thought of it in that way either. It was very interesting. And I like how he says... Um, choosing to not hold up the gospel light moves us to the shadows where we're susceptible to temptation, which makes sense, right? You're, you're not really living what you believe, but then importantly, the converse is true. Choosing to hold up the gospel light brings us more fully into the light and the protection it provides against temptation, which, you know, now that I'm, he's said that it makes total sense (laughs) that if you're trying to live the gospel and you're trying to be, um, an example to others to, to share the gospel with them through your righteous living, it makes sense that you're going to be in the light because you're trying so hard to, to be that example to them, right? But you're right. And the opposite is less appealing. Right. But you're right. I never thought of that as a um, specifically as a benefit of doing missionary work. Oh, I'm struggling with temptation. Let me go on splits with the missionaries and I'll feel a lot better. But it really is every time I go out with the missionaries, and I have the opportunity to teach, I come back and I feel a little closer to what the people of King Benjamin described of having no more disposition to do evil. Uh, So I've noticed that pattern in my life and I've never put it into the words that Elder Nash did. That is, it's really interesting that he pointed that out. And and just like you, I never really thought of it that way. But especially in today's world, like he says, what a tremendous blessing in today's world is to have that power to resist temptation. So if you're struggling, do some missionary work. Yeah. And that, um, again, it's, that's such an obvious thing because we talk about what serving other people, like when you're down or whatever, you know, people say, Oh, serve, go out and do something for somebody else. That's exactly what missionary work is. You're doing something for somebody else. And I think when we give it the title missionary work, that's when people kind of slink down in their seats, like you said earlier in that quote. So it's very interesting. Um, missionary work, bringing healing. I love that part. So I added a, I added a side note, a link where he talks about healing, joy, hope, sustaining power of God, protection from temptation, all of these and more, including forgiveness of sins Mm -hmm. distill upon us from heaven as we share the gospel. Now, at first glance, you read that, you say, wait a minute, that seems completely unrelated, but this actually echoes a promise given by King Benjamin in Mosiah 4.26, where he tells his people, he's talking about giving to the poor and the needy. And he says, I want you to do these things for the sake of retaining a remission of your sins from day to day, that ye may walk guiltless before God. King Benjamin is clearly tying in donations and charity and offerings to our ability to be cleansed from sin. And then Elder Nash is doing the same thing for missionary work. These things, giving to the poor and also giving of the gospel to others, are things that bring down the powers of heaven and cleanse us from sin. Well, I think if you take it apart, I mean, like you said, obviously, I'm seeing, I don't, 
I'm a very literal person. And so sometimes when I hear things, I'm like, okay, yeah, it is, it is what it is. It, it is what it's describing itself to be. But as you're talking, it makes perfect sense because it's just like how we talk about doing um, baptisms for the dead and, and doing work for the dead because, you know, they can't do it for themselves. Essentially, that's the same thing with live people. Um, we can argue that, yeah, they probably could find the church on their own by Googling it or whatever. But how many people do that? And there are so many people in this world that have no idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have no clue. Um, And I actually, I've met people like that in this country that for some reason, I always just thought, okay, there are countries in the world that don't know our, our, uh, the church is here. They don't know about the gospel and the restoration, but there are people that could be our neighbors that don't know. My own neighbors had us over for dinner shortly after we moved in. They found out we were members of the church. They said, oh, all we know about is what we read in the book, Uneducated. I said, oh, great. Yeah, see? <laughs> and it's amazing. I mean, it's truly amazing. And I think we, we're being very um, ignorant when we go around and think, yeah, but you know, it's the 21st century. There's the internet. There's there's all these things. Surely, I'm sure they've Googled it by now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> surely these people know. And the worst of it is when I lived in I lived in Utah for 12 years. There were people that were like, oh, there's no need to share the gospel with people because they already know they're here in Utah. How could they not know about the church? So very easily. <laughs> right? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Of course, they don't, they don't have to know about the church. Um, so they get they had just kind of this like, apathetic take to it. And how hard is that? You know, there are people that, especially the past couple of years, Utah has grown like crazy people flooding in from other states like California and Washington and things like that. Guaranteed, there are people that have not heard about the church or they've heard the name of the church, but they don't know what it's about. So we need to, I think, go in with the assumption that people really don't know a whole lot about the church. And even if they do, they may be misinformed. And our church is unique in that it draws a lot of curiosity and not a whole lot of truth. Yes. I actually, um, I'm a student right now on BYU Pathway, which we could do a whole podcast about that, actually. It's a really cool program. But um, I'm taking a digital marketing class And one of my assignments was to study how the church did marketing for the the movie um, Meet the Mormons. Did you ever watch that movie? I did. Yes. Okay. So for those who have not, it's about they they pretty much highlight and follow. I think it's six members of the church, kind of all throughout all around the world, and just kind of talk about their lives and 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 how the church fits into that and you know, what they bring to the church that's unique and all that. And it's just, it's a really cool movie. Um, But I just think it's so interesting because a lot of them are like, well, most of them were converts um, and some of them, you know, grew up in the church and stuff like that. But we were talking about how at the beginning of the movie, there's this uh, actress that's kind of a narrator or host, if you will. She's on Times Square in New York and she goes up and she just randomly asks people, Hey, have you ever heard, you know, the word Mormon or what do you know about Mormon? And all of these people gave these, you know, just random ideas like, oh, I think it's the name of a guy that wrote a book or um, it might be a religion that I think they believe in. I don't know. They just came up with all these things that they were off. They were not accurate at all. 
Um, but they had heard the word Mormon. And then, of course, now we know just a couple of years ago, President Nelson you know, said we need to go back to saying the entire name of the church and saying that we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I know that the reason for that, obviously, other than the fact that it's Jesus's church and we need to give him credit where credit is due, is that people need to know that that is the church and that is what it is instead of just a fun little nickname of Mormon and people get kind of left in the dark as to what that means. But anyway, I kind of went off on a tangent of that. But it is really interesting that I think we um, we kind of just get our we kind of get in our own way when it comes to missionary work, where we kind of pick and choose who we think or what we think people need to hear about our religion. And most people are just curious. I don't know about other states. Tennessee is a very friendly state, at least that I've witnessed. I will second that. That is 100% true. Yeah. And yes, there are a lot of very, very religious people here. I have never met an unfriendly person when I say I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're very polite. If they're not interested, (laughs) they kind of change the subject or whatever. I have never in my 43 years of life had an unsavory contact with somebody about the gospel um, just saying that I'm a member of it. Um, and yes, I know other people have had, you know, different experiences, but for the most part, most people are just curious. People have a natural curiosity about the church and about members of the church, but because of things that they've heard, and often because we tend to be sometimes standoffish, they tend to think the first rule of Mormonism is don't talk about Mormonism or something like that. Right. They they think we're embarrassed about it. And really, that's that's not the way it should be at all. Well, I think also, <laughs> if we're weird about it, then they're going to think it's weird. If we're overly defensive, yes. Yeah, when we get weird about it. I mean, I, I did have a friend once who asked me if we were a cult. And she she didn't know anything about it, our church at all. And I said, oh, no, we're, we're a church. And she said, oh, because every time I, I've heard things about it or whatever, I mean, it's always like, people just, they don't say anything else about it. You know, they don't really expound on what they're talking about or, or even worse, you know, we, we were known to having all these like acronyms for things or interesting words like beehives need to meet at the stake center for a fireside (laughs) and we'll have BYC right before that. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, it makes it weird, you know, it just makes it really odd. So I think we need to just be okay with our uniqueness and not make it weird because I think most of the time that's what turns people off. They just are afraid to contact, you know, approach us with it. And I will say humor goes a long way, a humor and self-awareness. Oh yeah. We can poke some fun at it. I remember on my mission, we were talking with one guy and we were getting along with him pretty well, but he wasn't totally comfortable. And so I decided to crack a joke. He asked, well, like, do you guys like this missionary thing? Is that like your whole life? I says, oh no, we're going to go home. Like I've got a whole, I've got a whole life ahead of me. I gotta, I gotta go home. I gotta go to school. Gotta find a girl and get married. Gotta find a girl and get married. Gotta find a girl and get married. <laughs> I did once in, I think it was like third grade. I remember being pretty young. Someone did ask me how many moms I had, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> You're like, here's a uh, biology lesson. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, I physically can only have one mom, but I, th- I think I'm getting what you're saying. So, but yeah, it's true. I mean, people just need to, yeah, 
I think I think we we make it more complicated than it is. We really do. Here's the next thing that I thought was so cool about this talk is he talks about a guy named Jimmy Ton. I want to say Ton, but it could be Ton. I don't know. He grew up Buddhist. He was impressed by a family who shared their life on YouTube. So here he is. Notice he finds this family on some form of social media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he learned they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then he studies the gospel online by himself. So this guy actually does know how to Google things. Yeah, he's one of the few. Yes, tools. yes. <laughs> <laughs> he read the Book of Mormon using the app, and then he was baptized after meeting with the missionaries in college. So he literally is a self-taught member of the church. But what's so cool about it is obviously in this, um, I didn't go to look and see in the references if they talked about what family this was on YouTube. I don't think they would in this talk, but it would be interesting to know if this family talked about the gospel on their YouTube channel to a point where it raised his interest. I mean, or was it just because of how they were interacting and how they were living and how they were treating each other that he just felt impressed that that was unique and he wanted to figure out why they were that way. Um, sometimes I like to pretend I am outside of myself looking at myself. That sounds really weird, but I hope you get what I'm saying. Sure. To kind of understand what people see when, you know, when I say things or how I, I don't really care so much about what people think of me, but. You try to be self-aware. Yeah, be self-aware. And I think a lot of us, if we kind of take a few minutes and just kind of do that, um, maybe give ourselves a little me interview, like, hey, I wonder, I wonder what my ne- my neighbors see when they, you know, when they interact with me or um, whatever. And I think if we're more aware of, of how we are. Um, we'd be pretty impressed, I think, with how we're doing missionary work just by living the gospel. If we're living the gospel, we're doing the most important missionary work we can do. I um, I traveled back to my old stomping grounds in North Carolina a while ago, and I was in a Mexican restaurant in the, well, in the men's room helping my oldest son go to the bathroom. This is a few years ago. And uh, I saw someone who just looked so familiar. And all of a sudden, the name popped into my head. I said, you're, you're so-and-so. He says, uh, yeah. And then we, we remembered it. We'd never had a class together in high school. We'd only tangentially known each other through like a, a club that we were in for like a few weeks. Um, but we just, we'd known of each other, but never actually interacted all that much. And I was not the type of teenager who really put himself out there. And I also wasn't super preachy, but I said, yeah, I think you were like the head of this club. He says, yeah, I was. He says, and I, I'm so sorry, man. All I can remember, I can't remember your name. All I can remember about you is that you were a Mormon. Hmm. I didn't know what to say to that. So I, I, I joked and I said, well, then you most, you remembered the most important part. And we parted ways and left. And I thought, boy, that was a real cringy thing to say. But then I thought about it later and I thought, no, that really is the most important part. If the only thing someone takes away from knowing me is a hopefully positive reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I'm completely satisfied. And so you know that when they do come in contact with other members of the church or they come in contact with the church in whatever way, they will immediately link that memory of you to that. And hopefully it's a good one. I'm sure it is. I know you personally. I'm pretty sure you're a good example of the church. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it That's, I mean, we're the, I mean, to make it sound, it's super cringy to put it this way, but we are the billboards of the church, you know? We are the face of the church, so to speak. And 
that can put a little bit of pressure on people if they feel it that way. But I just feel like it's a privilege if we, you know, if we're living a good life and we're righteous and following the commandments and we know that this gospel brings all the amazing things that it brings, like Elder Nash says, joy and hope and um, healing and power. I mean, I think people, they'd want to look for that and they'd be okay with that. And so it's less scary when we consider that as being the work to do is just let the light shine, as he says in his talk. Now, one of the things is when we consider that work, it is our work. And he makes a point of saying that he shared of a stake president who I guess was, this was still in Liberia for 10 months, there were no full-time missionaries in the country because of COVID. And yet they saw 507 people enter the waters of baptism, make covenants with God just by the efforts that the members were doing. And when the stake president heard that full-time missionaries may be returning, he remarked, oh good, now they can help us with our work. And I immediately linked to a talk from Elder Bednar in April 2008, where he said something that really kind of gave me a, a guilt trip or just gave me a new perspective on things. He said it a little forcefully, and I want to quote it here. He said, we properly pray for the safety and success of the full-time missionaries throughout the world. And a common element in many of our prayers is a request that the missionaries will be led to individuals and families who are prepared to receive the message of the restoration. I'll add here that you hear similar prayers in the temple as well. But ultimately, it is my responsibility and your responsibility to find people for the missionaries to teach. Missionaries are full-time teachers. You and I are full-time finders. And you and I, as lifelong missionaries, should not be praying for the full-time missionaries to do our work. Yep. Amen to that. Although it's hard to hear, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I know. I um. I was going to share this a little bit later. I might jump a little bit and say um, that he. One of the best things Elder Nash, in my opinion, says in this um, in this talk actually is kind of part of it. Well, first, first, let me say he's talking about. He goes on to say that the work is the gathering of Israel, which we know President Nelson specifically. He says that all the time. The most important thing we can do is gather Israel on both sides of the veil. Yep. And I actually just watched. Um, for my school assignment, again, a dev the devotional that he and his wife, Wendy Nelson, gave to youth. The Lord's Battalion. The Lord's Battalion, which is an amazing devotional, if you can watch it, is so good. But he really just is, he's calling up um, the youth and subsequently all of us to gather Israel. And that means missionary work. It means missionary work for the living and missionary work for the dead. Um, and it is our covenant responsibility to do it. And it is our time to do it. And so Elder Nash says, my invitation today is simple, share the gospel. But then he goes on to say my very favorite quote, and this really subsequently leads, it will lead to the story that I have. And he said, be you and hold up the light. And as we were chatting before this podcast, you said, can you think of any missionary stories? And this one popped up immediately. And it's a really funny story because it's, you're totally going to wonder who are you, Melissa, after this. But anyway, 
when I was in college, um, I was a freshman in college. I made friends with a guy named Eric and Eric was not a member of the church. And I went to a small college, but it was really interesting. The town was almost equally divided members of the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints and Baptist, a Baptist church. So it was a really small town, but it had these two very strong, very dominant religions. And so Eric was, he was, um, Baptist and, he and I got to be friends because we both shared a love for, oh my gosh, the name of the show escapes me now. It's about aliens and stuff. I was in, It was in the 90s. You're not talking X-Files, are you? X-Files. Thank you. Oh, I'm getting old. And so this, of course, is before streaming and things like that. So it was on just regular television. And so this blows the mind, I know, for people younger than me, but we had to tune in specifically on a certain day and a certain time to watch the show. And he found out that I liked the show too. And so he invited me over to his apartment that every night that that show was on, I think it was like a Tuesday night or something. And it was like an hour show. So every Tuesday night I would go over to his apartment and we'd watch X-Files together. (laughs) And I don't know if anybody knows about X-Files. It's this, all the sci-fi, it's all kinds of crazy stuff, aliens and uh, all kinds of things. But I remember at one point, this is crazy, we had probably been doing this for about three weeks, and we're watching an episode, I still remember, it was just the craziest, it was like an episode where aliens were coming and like stealing people and doing like experiments on them and things, it was just not a spiritual, religious episode, that's my point. And on the commercial break, Eric turned to me and he said, what do you think about God? And I said, excuse me? And he said, what do you know about God? Like, tell me what you believe about God. And so here I am on the commercial break of X-Files telling my friend Eric what I thought about God. And then we kept watching the show and he didn't really say anything else. And then the next week, he asked me another question about the gospel. Um, And I can't remember what it was, but it was something about specifically what us members of the church believe. And I told him. And all of a sudden, our our weekly X-Files episode viewing parties became missionary discussions. And he would ask me, he would just really start, you know, um, asking these really, really deep questions. And keeping in mind, I was 19 years old. I wasn't entirely sure how to answer some of them. So finally, I said to him, would you like to just meet with the missionaries? They could answer these questions better than I can. And I was blown away. He said, yeah, I would love that. (laughs) So we had um, sister missionaries in our area. And so I was, I was a roommate. I had lived in an apartment with, I think three or four other girls at the time. And so I said, well, how about you come to our house and we'll, you know, have the missionaries come over and they will teach you in my apartment. And he said, yeah, that would be great. And so he came over to the apartment and my roommates and I, and the sister missionaries, all participated in all of his discussions and he ended up getting baptized. I mean, when you're preached to by an awesome army of like five women, how can you say no? (laughs) Well, what amazed me is it all started with us sitting in his apartment watching X-Files. But I was going back to what Elder Nash says. I was just being me. You know, I was this member of the church who just had this weird affinity for X-Files TV. And he happened to, you know, have the same like of that. And we became friends and connected because of that. And because of it, he found the gospel. And I really, 
to be honest, I look at it, I look back on it now and I really didn't have a whole lot to do with his conversion. You weren't going over there saying, I'm secretly here to convert you while we watch the aliens. <laughs> no, I was full on there for X-Files and just talking about all the weird theories that you talk about when you watch that show. But I do know that he, at some point, because of who I was, I'm assuming, he knew that he could feel comfortable in asking me these questions. Because he saw you're a normal person who likes X-Files. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure that's not a contradiction in terms, but he said, he was saying, here's a normal average person that can watch TV that I can actually relate to in having this really, you know, cool, really niche or really popular interest. And so how is this normal person a Mormon? I got to find out more about that. Yeah. And really, I mean, let's use this as an example for, example for all of us, though I'm not perfect. This is a perfect example. I was just living my life being who I was and he was, he felt comfortable talking to me. And then one thing led to the other, the missionaries did the teaching, the spirit did the converting and he joined the church. But the only thing that was so great about me being part of it is I was just being me. I was just being me living my life, you know, being who I am, being friendly, making friends and it all came together. Which brings me to, I guess, to conclude his thoughts here. Mm -hmm. We live in an age of expressive individualism where we're always talking about be your authentic self and everything. I think that when it comes down to it, doing more missionary work is not about molding ourselves into a salesman, molding ourselves into this idealistic member missionary. It's more about letting those things that are already the core of who we are show out more. Right. Think of it this way. Someone asked how your weekend was. Well, if you're an average member of the church, a good chunk of that was spent doing church stuff, right? You know, you're doing your callings, you're doing the primary program, you know, you're going to the temple on Saturday, you're, you know, having family who even come follow me studies with your kids. The gospel, if we're doing it right, is a giant aspect and the core aspect of who we are. And so when someone asked how our weekend was, if we fail to mention anything about the gospel, we are actually hiding who we are. It's not that God's asking us to become fake and start, you know, magnifying this aspect of the gospel beyond what's there. No, he's asking us to stop hiding it, which is what we probably do 99% of the time. I agree. And I love how at the end of, of this talk, he says that Jesus Christ will work miracles in our lives and in the lives of all he gathers, for he is a God of miracles. And I know that to be true. I mean, obviously, I had that amazing experience with Eric. Um and then I went later on, I went on to, you know, go on a mission. And there have been some other examples of, of people in my life when I wasn't a missionary where I was, you know, privileged to share the gospel with them. And they've gone on to join the church and things like that. Those are miracles. Watching someone's life change and watching the joy and the peace that comes to their life. And you knowing that you were just a tiny bit of that, just a little part of that is truly a miraculous thing. And it changes you. Um, and it just makes you a better person. That's exactly, I think, what Elder Nash is saying in this talk is you just are happier, lighter, better when you share the gospel with other people. Um, so instead of shaming us into preaching the gospel to everyone we know, he's asking us to remember 
that by being who we are, we can be miracle workers. I love that thought. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast, where we discuss Elder Nash's address, Hold Up Your Light. So if you want to hold up our podcast, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. And YouTube and Google and Stitcher and Amazon and Audible and TuneIn and iHeartRadio and Facebook. Yes, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find all the links to our platforms on our website, conferencetalk.org. You know what else is at conferencetalk.org? Everything! Go there to follow us on social media, drop us a comment, check out the show notes, find related talks, or learn more about us, your hosts. Big thanks to Melissa Fagaza for hopping on mics with me today. You can follow her at Facebook and find the link to her Facebook profile at conferencetalk.org. Thanks, and you can follow Matthew Watkins at, where do you go, go Matthew? I can't remember your link. <laughs> Powerinthebook.com. Wonderful. We do always appreciate new followers, but it's even better to follow the prophet and the apostles themselves. The end. Nope, next page. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We love speaking about the church and our leaders. We do not speak for them. Everything said on this podcast represents our own personal opinions. Uh, of course, thanks. Yeah. And don't follow my example of watching X-Files. It got super weird later. So, But do tune in for another episode <laughs> of the Conference Talk podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're keeping that. <laughs>